por el centro. Quedó pasando y está. Salvó Danilo. Creo que Angeleri se lo perdió. Creo que Angeleri se lo perdió. Colochini que le da. Salva Neto. En el revoleo me parece que fue Angeleri que se acaba de perder la clasificación. No se puede creer. La encontró el arquero. Sí, Angeleri. No se puede creer. Y Chapecoen se va a la final. Todavía no termina, pero va a ir a la final. Es increíble lo que acaba de perderse Marcos Angeleri cuando va a terminar el partido, en cuanto saque, terminó el partido. Señoras y señores, lo tuvo Angeleri, quien fue el mejor de San Lorenzo. Danilo la encontró, lo van a abrazar como si hubiese atapado el penal de la definición. Porque es cierto, en definitiva, el arquero encontró la pelota que era de clasificación para San Lorenzo. Así van todos con Danilo. Increíble. Hello all and welcome to the Two Red Gringos podcast. Uh, as always, it's Phil Bakke and Patrick Staley uh, joining you. Uh, Patrick, how you doing? We're doing an afternoon uh, recording this time around, so a little different vibe to it. Yeah, I know it's uh, it's a little bit early, but um, you know Premier League games require us to start drinking at 5 a.m. sometimes. So I think it's I think it's okay. It's a Friday. <laughs> yeah, it's Friday. We're uh, getting the we- getting the weekend started. Real cash. Yeah, casual. Um, well, before we before we get into the the normal general silliness of our of our podcast, we wanted to. Uh, First, send our sincerest uh, regrets and and uh, and well wishes to um, the families of the victims of the Chapacoans uh, tragedy, uh, the plane crash in Colombia that claimed 71 lives. And uh, so, with that, our little way of tribute just kind of educated. I know a lot of people have read um, about the history of the club ever since um, ever since the the tragedy. Um, but the, the quick rundown is, you know, founded in 1978, they were playing in, uh, the first division in Brazil and that was their last, their last season in, in the first division, um, in 1979, uh, they immediately went down and, uh, they were down in the third division for a long time. Um, and then in 2009, they were back down in the fourth division, one promotion and from there won a series of, of, uh, promotions, uh, between 2009 and 2013 that earned them a place back up in in the Brazilian first division and uh, obviously uh, as part of this this story ongoing they uh, claimed a place uh, after a victory over San Lorenzo the Argentinian team they earned a place in the Copa Sudamericana, Copa Sudamericana final, um, which was being played against Atletico Nacional in uh, Medellin, Colombia, and uh, and you know that is uh, it was on route to that match that the uh, that the tragedy took place, um, and uh, we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of the um, tributes uh, around, but we at the Two Red Gringos just wanted to. Um, do our own little version of a tribute. Obviously, uh, doesn't match what's been been done uh, for the club in uh, in Brazil and Colombia uh, between the two uh, clubs. Especially, I don't know if you saw Atlético Nacional's uh, tribute at the stadium last night when the 
the final was supposed to be played, um, the supporters just went out to the stadium and held a uh, basically a, a vigil for the uh, for those who who died in the crash. So some pretty some pretty touching scenes have come out of uh, what is actually you know obviously a horrible horrible tragedy. Now did and club and and player in the world from even even our own club Liverpool donning the the black armbands so it's it's tragic and I think you and I the first thing we said was you know something like this should 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 never happen in the modern world um, but just the response to everybody kind of shows how powerful uh, you know just the sporting sporting nature and sporting environment can be. Yeah, I I think it's it's been impressive to see the response uh, from clubs worldwide uh, to to a tragedy of this nature, and I mean it is it's it's really it 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 really is striking when it happens, especially these days. Uh, you know, when air travel is so common um, for for something like this to happen, especially um, at such a a large loss of life. It's 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 really jarring um and it's especially jarring when you know it's a a community had really rallied around this club and for it to to basically vanish in in a split second it's i mean it's absolutely heartbreaking and some some of the stuff that's come out of it has just been um you know it's been it's been very difficult even even as you know people who have zero connection to to Chappaquins as a or Chappie as a as a city you know no one no one is uh really connected aside from the sport of of football so it's been it's been good to see to see that response um and to see kind of the outpouring of support uh in the wake of something so awful um, yeah. yeah and like all the clubs saying like with national to say you know award them the trophy for yeah. for clubs to just say you know we'll we'll, we'll loan we'll waste fees yeah um, was it Rick Helme and Ronaldinho rumor to <laughs> yeah even come out of retirement to play for him yeah I mean, it, it's it's the worst thing in the world um and and the response is kind of restore your faith uh in humanity as well so right I mean not that you look to find any positives in it, but I, I mean, there's some silver lining in that. The I was kind of overwhelmed and moved by the just the overwhelming responses from it. Yeah. Um, no, it has been impressive, um, and uh, so uh, obviously we wish wish the best to Chapacoans and hope hope that they can come back uh, stronger than ever. Um, following such a tragedy i know it'll be a tough few years for them um but there had even been rumors that brazilian clubs had been uh asking for the uh the football federation of brazil to uh basically keep chapacoans from being relegated uh for the next three seasons to kind of let them get back on their feet and and not uh suffer any any more uh due to the the tragedy so yeah it has been it has been good to see um but uh yeah so we send send our best to uh to chapacoans and and hope the uh the uh the club can can bounce back um prayers from the ringos yes um so 
moving on to our to our normally scheduled programming, um, we have the uh, our our always interesting uh, beginning, which is pick your poison afternoon edition. So day drinking edition. Um, what uh what ha- what poison have you selected? I know you had a nervous look asking that question. You never know. You never know which direction it's gonna go. For this <laughs> one, got a uh, couple couple punts of Guinness, a couple hard that's, Guinness. In front of me. I think that's yeah. Early morning, mid afternoon. Um, it's a good you know. Yeah. Close your eyes and pretend you're drinking coffee. <laughs> exactly. That's a good stout. Is always a good uh morning or or kind of a afternoon lunch type beer. <laughs> really classing it up yeah um so i went i went back to uh you know we're we're entering we're now in december um and we're entering the the festive period as as it's referred to um especially around football we're getting into a very busy time in in football um and so i wanted to kind of enter the season the right way so what i've what i've done aside from my fridge being stocked full of shiner cheer obviously um because that to me is christmas now um you can't actually celebrate the holidays without shiner cheer shiner cheer and what actually is (laughs) uh yeah uh what is it uh yeah manhattan (laughs) Ginger, Ginger Manhattans. Oh, Ginger Manhattans. Ginger Manhattans. Uh, Shiner Cheer, <laughs> Dominoes, and Love Actually are. <laughs> that's Christmas. <laughs> that's Christmas in El Paso, right there. Yep. Um, so in the in the spirit of that, uh, I'm not I'm not drinking a Shiner Cheer. Um, I am drinking a our our good friends at Carbach because I am really trying hard <laughs> to get. Um, but our good friends at Carbach uh, <laughs> released a a holiday ale called Yule Shoot Your Eye Out, um, which I really appreciate the reference. <laughs> like two two Christmas puns in one. It is yeah. So uh, they've got the uh, they've got the the leg lamp on the can and everything. Um, it's almost <laughs> the answer to Shiner Cheer in that it's a darker kind of beer, but it's still got that kind of that festive. I don't really know how to how to describe the but it's a nice it's a nice dark ale and uh it's uh yeah it goes down smooth and i will be enjoying that for the duration well cheers cheers my friend so let's uh let's dive right in um this week liverpool played leeds in united in the uh now efl or league cup uh quarterfinals um and a youngster uh, by the name of Ben Woodburn has given a few Liverpool fans Woodburn of their own, having scored at the cop end uh, his first senior goal um, in his uh, only his second game with the club. Um, so with that being said, how many jerking off jokes are going to be made whenever Ben Woodburn scores? Once he becomes a first team regular, it's gonna be exhausting. <laughs> that that is peak LFC Twitter right there. We'll get to we'll get to the LFC Twitter moment of the week, but peak LFC Twitter for me is when the level of play 
not necessarily in the case versus leads. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Level of play or a player does something to the point where all you see on your Twitter timeline is just inappropriate special <laughs> references and innuendos, too. So now that we have Woodburn uh, featuring, yeah. it's going to get a little weird because he is so young. What is it, like 17, 17 years old? He is, yeah. Whenever he first scores. Yeah. So I feel like we're going to see a lot of inappropriate references to <laughs> 17 year old Woodburn. <laughs> um but yeah so ben woodburn becomes the youngest scorer in uh in liverpool history uh at 17 years and 45 days uh surpassing michael owen uh as a club's youngest ever goal scorer and he scored in his second ever uh appearance for the senior team which is a feat that is matched by none other than jamie carragher <laughs> who uh after the game tweeted uh that if i scored in my second competitive match then it would it would have been a piece of piss for this lad so uh with his talent so uh a lot of people high high on woodburn right now rightfully so i think it wasn't just wasn't just the goal but then immediately afterwards too there's always going to be buzz buzz about it but you can almost see in, in Klopp's reaction post game, um, and all those stories that kind of came out, how you know they they tried to keep it under wraps somewhat that that he is a, he is a big talent, and I mean once <laughs> once you feature for the first team and, and score a goal in your second appearance, it's tough to tough to calm down expectations, but um, it's it's actually good timing once we get into maybe the the January transfer needs that we have for for young players to know that they can step up um, and potentially fill a role. Right. So speaking of of the youngins, I think that was kind of the story um, of of this uh, of of this round of the cup because you're in a quarterfinal, you're looking to make a semifinal, um, you know, and potentially a a second final in two years uh, if if this Liverpool team can make it that far um and you have a team that is much changed obviously from the league side and uh features a lot of young guys um most notably in this match uh the starts for uh trent alexander arnold and ovia yeah. jaria um and for the most part uh the youngsters did pretty well um so do you it, it almost seemed like the journey in FIFA, like this, that new mode where all of these random people are playing in the side. And you're like, this will never happen. Yeah. Um, this many youngsters in the side. And then Klopp goes out and plays, plays a team and gets a two, no win. So um, what do you think kind of the Trent Alexander Arnold and, and Ajaria, especially, um, What's what do you think their their first team prospects kind of look like after a performance like that? I think obviously Jari, because he's a midfield player and looks incredibly flexible, especially if you take into account the three midfield that we typically have, where Lalana, Wanaldum, or Chan shows up. I don't think he'll ever drop into the Henderson role like Stewart did. Right. But there's more there's more availability. I mean, the more spots you have, the more he can come in as a sub, um, and. It, I think it's no surprise that Klopp really likes him. So we'll see. 
yeah, we'll probably even see him feature uh, throughout the league competitions as well. Um, but Alexander, Ajari was, was really was really good. He had his moments too. Alexander was amazing, like rightfully so, man of the match. The problem with him is that he's behind our our player that plays the most games, the most minutes, <laughs> arguably <laughs> one of our best players at, right. at, at his position. Um, but one thing that we saw from Alexander that we might not have seen from Klein. Klein links up well, but he he kind of showed more of a, I don't know, it's just one off, but an ability to kind of get forward and and really the, the type of crosses that he delivered, it wasn't just the one that he had, but he had either one more or, or maybe two more. But they were just like, you know, not just the lofted crosses from the side, but direct, put him in the dangerous positions too. Right. So as much as it pains me to say, he offered a little bit of something that we might not have seen from Klein. Uh, but with that being said, I, there's at no point this season, unless it's an injury, that we'll see see him feature um yeah in, in a league in a league 11 maybe he does it for league cup um but even if you factor in like if, if Flanagan's healthy too i mean i saw you know everybody loves a good land enough to tackle but what, what i saw from alexander from this game was was enough to show me that um any chance that we can put him in the squad is going to be good for for both him and the team yeah, and I think uh, we could definitely see him feature in the FA Cup, especially the early rounds. Um, we can we can definitely uh, see see some more of of TAA or uh, <laughs> Trent Alexander Arnold. Um, I will say, get a good nickname at some point. Oh yeah, I will say that uh, Ijaria um, had the aside from. Uh, Alexander's cross for the goal to Origi, which obviously that that cross is one of the best that's been put in by any player on Liverpool this season. Um, Because, I mean, it's right in the space between the keeper and the last defender, and it's, you know, uh, got enough pace on it where all Origi has to do is get a toe on it, and it's it's in the back of the net, no issue. Um, So aside from that moment, probably the best pass of the game and one that deserved, uh, deserved a goal. And, and if it wasn't for a good, a good save by the Leeds keeper, uh, it probably would have been was Ajaria's ball into, uh, Wijnaldum, um, early in the first half, because when that ball came in, um, and Wijnaldum hits it first time, I'm thinking that's a goal. Uh, there's no way. Uh, and it, and it took a, it took a ridiculous save um, to, to save it. So some of that stuff, kind of the vision, um, and then the, the uh, quality of delivery from the young players was, was really impressive. And it, and it does uh, put them in good stead, I think, to, to play, especially in those early rounds of the FA Cup where you're getting kind of the, the softer draws um, and they can build some confidence against lower league opposition. Um, and Klopp can ease those guys into the first team. Yeah, and because there were a handful of people that were were sort of filling in for the typical first team eleven. You have Stewart and, and Henderson spot. Um, you know, Origi filling the Firmino or maybe Sturridge role. When Alden, I guess, was supposed to take on the Coutinho role, and then all the defenders. But Dejari was really the only one. That, that really just kind of, it was really similar to the way that Lalana kind of plays, where he's 
he's got a great touch. He's he's very sure of himself on the ball, um, and especially the way Lalonde has been distributing it this season. Uh, I just really like really like what you see from him too, and he's very he's very mobile. Um, yeah. On the pitch and, and moves around it well and is really calm on the ball too, which which is something that you need to have uh, in a type of eleven that we usually uh, set ourselves up in. Yeah, and uh, so so talking of talking of setup, um, we take a look after after all the games. Uh, you know, we we love and we've talked about the last couple episodes. We love our eleven Tegan eleven, um, <laughs> but when we look at that formation. Um, when we look at that formation, it was not uh, it was not typical of of what we've seen from Liverpool this season. Um, and uh, and do you think that was kind of down to the change in personnel? Yeah, because the way that when I first looked at the starting lineup, and maybe that's because Ronaldo has been featuring in a more not a holding, but a a more kind of centralized midfield role than the attacking or, or wing play that he's done for Newcastle. But I was looking at like thinking, is this, is this, I mean, is, is it Monty and Origi up front? Um, <laughs> but it really just played out for the typical four, three, three, where you had Stewart and Henderson's roles. Obviously the defenders had their typical spots. Um, right. Chan kept his role. Uh, he he was good, but you could see him struggle in the final third, and I think that has more to do with the the players that were around him. Um, ended up being the really really structured four three three, but especially just looking at the past maps and and even watching the game, it everything just kind of went through more direct passes through the wings and largely vacant. Um, and if you look at the the contribution that Stewart has, who's been who's been fairly good so far. Um, the link-up play that he did was almost really just with um, uh, the the wide players and the center backs. Well. Right. There's a giant, giant hole in the midfield. And with the, the type of defenders that we have, I think that's where, where we eventually got into problems. Because Lee, Lee did Lee just had a few chances. Uh, they they had did. A lot of corners. I think they had just as many shots as we did. Right. Um, you wouldn't necessarily get expect it the way that the game played out but whereas we were sloppy in the final third they found uh a, a lot of space especially maybe at that <laughs> which isn't on our agenda but we may need we may need to talk about it I started jotting down a couple things about Moreno. yeah but the biggest the biggest impact is that if you look at the passing trends it's almost all entirely um from the back out to wings typically play you've got really strong Really strong patterns from from Hendo and in, in that front three, where it's just all all of it is going in and out through Hendo and his, right. his pass map. Really, almost like if you could see it happen in real time throughout the game, this mass growing and growing, and he's uh, and that's just like Hendo's played so far is that he's completely dictating. Um, just everything because there's no almost like offensive or, or defensive separation it's all one and that has all kind of been driven by by what hendo's done yeah starting a couple of games it's been on him yeah and that's uh so we'll we'll jump right into hendo uh because i think i think that's kind of the story of this of this early part of the season um as we look at uh how liverpool have been successful 
And at the beginning of the season, um, a lot of people were not thrilled about the idea of Jordan Henderson playing in a, in a deep-lying role. Um, but so far, he's got, in this season, um, for Liverpool in the league, he's made 13 appearances, three assists. He averages two key passes per 90 minutes. Uh, he averages 88.1% pass uh, success completion or success percentage, sorry. Um, only one cross a game, which is due to his deep-lying role, I think. Uh, he completes uh, five uh, long passes a game and has uh, – he, he's at .2 through balls per game, but, again, he's, he's playing a lot deeper, um, so he's not going to be uh, attempting that many through balls. Although um, my favorite goal perhaps of the whole season – um, for Liverpool ha- so far has been uh, due to a Henderson through ball to Firmino to chip uh, Crystal Palace's keeper. Yeah. Um, but what we've seen from Hendo has been just v- – he's been very assured in possession. He's completed, uh, you know, nearly 90% of his passes, um, and he's dictating play uh, out of midfield – um with the only weakness to his game uh right now i think being his his finishing um cuz he's he's missed some bigger chances or whatever for liverpool but i i think all in all he's fulfilling this role uh dictating play from deep uh that really no one expected him to perform quite at this level yeah and it's you, you almost take it for granted. The biggest the biggest knock on Hendo would one and we haven't heard it as much this season just because he's not gonna pop up with as many chances in terms of his finishing. But it's just oh he's just passing side to side or he's passing backwards. You could make that argument against the way Stewart played versus Leeds. But if you just look at every single game that, that Henderson has, I mean it it's gonna be a part of the game to move it back to the center backs, move it out wide to the full backs. But we almost take it for granted the the way that he's able to kind of dictate the play the play in that spot um, because it's not easy. And you brought up a good point that Gerard really struggled with it. That's what forced Gerard, you know, arguably Liverpool's all-time greatest player at the team, is because he could cope with the the amount of pressing and just the the defensive presence that that player always has. Um, and so for for Henderson to to take on a role that we didn't think was coming this has been pretty special so far just in his way to because he is popping up with i mean the goal against chelsea is is unbelievable the the pass to set up the firmino ship that's what yeah. you want at that players to pop up with these these moments where he creates something out of nothing but then for the most part i, I mean what he's the amount of passes that he has is what almost 200 more than, than the next player and this is yep. featuring a, a Pep Guardiola City team, um, but he's what he's he's first to passes, yep. he's second in a league in tackles, um, and it's it's just the all around performance that that like we said this is what the team thrives on is is for somebody to to be able to to press to tackle and then to quickly distribute it and I think that's why we've been so one solid defensively but also two um, as deadly as we've been in the back as well. Yeah, and so just looking, just looking at our la- at 
our last game against Sunderland. Uh, Jordan Henderson uh, had um, six key passes, completed 91% of his passes, uh, and had 144 touches of the ball. Um, So for 91% of his passes to be completed off 144 times he's touching the ball, that's ridiculous <laughs> quite honestly what um early on too what are the odds that guardiola lobs a 35 million dollar bid at liverpool for <laughs> <laughs> just because he's playing at that level of i mean like an alonzo and guardiola's munich team i mean that's yeah. the level of level of play that he's at um you know world class gets gets thrown around a lot but he, i mean he's arguably the the best player in the league right now yeah, and and that was out of so that ninety one percent completion uh, percentage was out of one hundred and thirty passes um, <laughs> against Sunderland. That that's absurd. Um, and uh, and that's also uh, including six accurate long balls and two accurate crosses. And then he assisted Origi's goal. Although Origi's goal, I mean, that was really just the last pass before the goal. <laughs> he quite honestly probably created better chances that weren't scored, um, off you. of, but like yeah, it was, I think it might've been 11 team on 11 or, or somebody else, maybe Dan Cannon, there's somebody on LFC Twitter that somebody was complaining about like the assist ad or something like that. And they're like, do you have any way to uh, differentiate between genuine chances in the last pass before a goal? And the only response was that's literally what an assist is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, you can't, it may sound like, like, you know, we're being kind of homers building them up because it's, you know, if you're, if you're a non LFC or a fan of another team, it you may not see it now. The passing and, and the stats that he does have, does have are, are as apparent as it gets. But we really you haven't seen somebody dominate passing like this until you look back in recent history at uh, again a Guardiola Munich team, a Guardiola Barcelona team. There's been nobody in, in in terms of my memory that has really just completely. I mean, you can almost call it just overplaying. Like the amount of influence that he has on the game in terms of touches and passing has been. I mean, nobody else is even coming close to it. No, and so that that begs a question. Begs a question. Then, is this Jordan Henderson that we're seeing right now down to Jurgen Klopp's influence, or is this a player who's who's finally matured to a level um, where he's? He's just capable of these things now due to the fact that he's put in the hard work over these last, you know, four or five years at the club. It's going to be a, a lame response, but it, the right answer usually is it's 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 both. He's coming in. He's coming to an age where he should, in terms of his his physical capabilities, in terms of his experience, is when he should hit his prime. But I mean, you can't you can't discredit anything that that clock has done too, because it's so similar to I think the type of midfield performances that, that we saw at Dortmund where we think, Oh, we could get, we could get this player. We could get this midfielder. And we were a little bit confused at the start because we we're always saying, no, we need it. We need a defensive midfielder. And we, nobody ever would have right. to be that. So 
that's I think that's what we were seeing in, in terms of Klopp is that it's his setup and 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 his kind of stamp on the game where you can have you know somebody that's in between in between a, a can be that kind of uh, and again because it's not all just a defensive presence it it's all kind of wrapped into you know the just just his approach to the game of pressing is that um is that Henderson's kind of being able to fill into those spots where you know if this was if he was doing the exact same thing for for Dortmund or for another club we'd be saying you know sign sign him to fill to fill that hole that we have in our in our defensive midfield spot right um so yeah i think uh i think the biggest you know aside from Jordan Henderson kind of kind of coming into his own um as a player because uh, they found a role uh I, you know i think it, it's credit to credit to Jurgen Klopp for trusting him in this role but also for finding a role that uses his energy um yeah. and his ability you know to the best uh basically putting it to the best possible use because for the longest time we looked at Jordan Henderson as a player and we're like okay he we know he's got tons of energy he can run forever um we know that he you know has some ability in 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 passing we know he has uh some ability going forward but we didn't know really where that was best suited so he played on the right some he played kind of you know in a central midfield role but focused forward uh more so than than deep lying and now like in this role of of what i would say almost a if you were playing if you were playing Klopp's formation on fm you'd put him as a deep lying playmaker set to set to support so you have like he hustles back and helps out on defense but his main focus is is to be that engine of the team and to to basically transition the team from from defense to attack um yeah and we so finally in this in this role we found okay jordan you can get out there and you can run all over the place you can track back and you can you know tackle tackle guys um and then i want you to stand up and i want you to play a pass, you know, to to Genie or Adam or um uh or Emre and we'll go from there. Um and that's why I think we've seen we've almost simplified Jordan's game because going forward we're not expecting all that much out of him um because we have so much in front of him. So really it's just, hey, get get the ball at the feet of the people who we expect to do damage. And then when you're in those areas and, and we ask you to to play a pass uh, you know, through the defense or something, then then he can do it. Um but mainly what we were what we're asking him to do is almost simpler than what we've asked him to do over the last probably four seasons. I can imagine a few jokes about Hendo being a little bit simpler, but uh, <laughs> game speeches. But um, <laughs> I think the same Klopp's approach in terms of the way that it benefits Henderson kind of makes me think now that that's that's why we've been so good defensively, even given that James Milner is our starting left back. Um, because I think it's just the best left back in the league. <laughs> best left back. <laughs> But you 
he's he, if he gets caught one on one, he's he's held his own, but it's it's still slightly terrifying. Yeah. Um. But no, I just think the the setup is what is what allows us to put Milner at left back to put headers right. in, in the defensive midfield role because it, you're doing everything. It's not you know if when Milner first gets placed there, it's you, nobody wants to be a left back. But if you think of it, he's just as advanced as as, as a left midfielder. Yeah. Um, and just the whole team setup has been has been really solid, which is why it was it was it was heartbreaking to see almost a complete breakdown whenever Marino was in the squad against Leeds. But um, <laughs> I I don't I don't know if it's if it's one on one defending, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna trust Marino. But uh, he versus Leeds, he was caught out all the time, and it's yeah, um, it's kind of like the if you've got you know one one bad apple in there the, the rest of the team can can fall apart but i know I, we, we haven't talked about it much but we we are a really good defensive team um yeah and yeah that's that's a good defensive team with our our holding our defensive midfielder slash playmaker and jordan anderson and our left back of james milner so you know credit credit to the players but obviously credit to Klopp as well yeah so um Another player who has hugely benefited from Klopp's approach, uh, and one that I'm only recently warming to, is uh, <laughs> is Adam Lallana, who returns from injury uh, most likely uh, from reports. He he was in full training, according to Jurgen Klopp, uh, ahead of the game at Bournemouth on uh, tomorrow. Or no, sorry, Sunday. Um, he he was in full training. Uh, Jurgen said he looked good in training and it that he's ready to go. So with Lalana almost certainly back in the first team, who's out? I'll let you go first because I think mine's <laughs> gonna be a little bit different. Um, a little bit different. Okay, so I I mean I think our shape is gonna look is gonna look similar. Uh, the one thing that complicates all of this is the fact that that uh old bobby fermino uh in training said that jurgen said he was in pain um in training so Mm -hmm. with fermino out that does complicate things slightly um and sturridge won't play uh that was the other injury issue sturridge uh having one of his annual Oh, it's just a small problem, and he's out for three weeks, four weeks, a month, you know, two months. Um, so, Generous. yeah. So he uh, he's out of the squad. So you have to think that the front three uh, is going to look slightly different from our normal league. You know, especially obviously, Firmino's been starting every week up top. So you almost think that it's got to be. Um, that it's got to be a Rigi up top if if our, both of our first choice guys are are out uh, in in Firmino and Sturridge, so you've got a Rigi up top, uh, Coutinho fit again, um, so he plays on the left, and uh, and Mane on the right, no questions asked. Um, while the midfield, uh, to me, I think that against Bournemouth. Genie uh Wijnaldum gets sacrificed uh in favor of a Lalana Chan Hendo three in midfield, uh with the normal league 
defense. Um, like no changes back there, but I think I think it's Wijnaldum who who goes only because against Bournemouth, your your concern is maintaining possession uh, and winning back possession. Um, yeah. And I think Chan gives you a little bit more uh, in that respect uh, in the in the pressing aspect, uh, whereas Vinaldum um, is more of a, I guess, possession guy uh, where he can hold onto the ball in the center of midfield, but Emery gives you a little bit more in terms of pressing. I don't know if his uh, per- performance against Leeds is going gonna, is gonna to hinder that, however. So. so you made one glaring error. What's that? And I'm, not, and I'm not sure if it's just because you're you're devastated by it, but you left Coutinho in the eleven. Is he? I thought he was fit again. Out for five to six weeks. Oh right, the whole ang- yeah. So I repressed that. I repressed that. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah, sorry. I would repress that because I saw it happen against uh, against Sunderland, and I just I was filled with such rage and anguish that I I repressed it. Um, yeah. So yeah, because he had the whole problem where it was like, is he going to be fit? And then he was, and then that asshole kicked him in the foot and fucked his ankle up. So yeah. So that was actually my. Maybe what I assume might not be the typical response was I think you, you put them in midfield spot on, and then centralized. I'm assuming it's gonna be if Firmino's not healthy, then it'll be Origi. Yeah, but I, and- I'm thinking now that the reason why Klopp positioned Wijnaldum where he did versus Leeds was trying to test the waters a little bit. Yeah, to see if he could pull that Coutinho left wide role. So I think we're gonna yeah. see. Wijnaldum in the the typical Coutinho spot, you could call left wing, um, but more advanced on the left side. But I, other than that, I think uh, the midfield midfield spot on. Yeah. And whoever whoever fits strikers too. Yeah. So I think I think what's interesting about this is really the bench for for Klopp in that it's going to be made up of a lot of young guys. Um, there's talk of Woodburn potentially making the squad uh, for Bournemouth which I think uh, could be good, quite honestly, in, in a late, late in the game if we're, if we're still chasing a goal or if we're, you know, if we're smashing them um, either way. Uh, but would burn on for Wijnaldum in that kind of left, left midfield advanced kind of role um, that he played because he kind of came in to that spot uh, a little bit against leads so that was you know more or less where he ended up was on the left so um yeah. so i think you can you know for chasing a goal then you throw old benny bonfire on there um for for Wijnaldum but yeah um yeah so any predictions ahead of of Bournemouth Bournemouth's a tough one are we home or away uh i let me double check because I want to say it seems like we've been at home, so I want to say it's away. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's away. Yeah, it's it. No, it is. It is for sure. Yeah, vitality. So yeah, it is. Um, so they're at Bournemouth. All right. Bournemouth. 
everyone was never one to shy away shy away from the scrap. Um Yeah. Let me go let me go three two to Liverpool. Continue with the uh The close calls. <laughs> close calls, but also the 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 winning or, or not losing trend. What are they unbeaten in is it fifteen? Fifteen in all competitions. So I'm gonna go three two. Um, it's gonna be a little nervy. Okay. I'll go ahead and give I'll give Genie, I'll give one all of them. I'll give him the goal. Give, um, uh, let's say Lana Lil Lana bags one his return and Shane pops up for another one soon. Okay. So the midfielders popping up in the right areas. I'm not on scrolling. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go two one. I'm gonna say it's a little tighter. Um, and I'm gonna say I I want to say Wijnaldum gets one as well. Um, and and Arigi scores the other because I think he'll be the one who's actually fit. Although if if Firmino like makes the bench, then that'll make me feel a little bit better because you never know with these kind of weird injuries where you didn't even notice it during the game. Um, yeah. and then all of a sudden the guy's, you know, out for two weeks and you're like, how did this happen? Um, like it didn't even, you didn't even come out. <laughs> um, but so if he's back on the bench, then, then that'll make me feel good. But yeah, I'd say Origi and Wijnaldum, um, and we eke out a, a, a close one kind of sim. I'd say it'd probably be similar to the, uh, to the Swansea match a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe even a a, a Jimmy Milner penalty. Yeah. <laughs> a penal pool. The guy, the guy, the guy can take a pen. Bottom line, no, oh, Jimmy Milner can take a pen. It's a, it's a joy to watch. It but, is. Uh, no, I think when Nolan's not even doing. I mean, he's knocking on the door. He's, yeah. The chance that he had created by Jari was. The pass was phenomenal, but the little touch that he put on it—I mean, that's that's top right-hand corner all yeah. day long. And amazing, amazing safe tube. And then he had another one off the post. So yeah. And I think if he's in a more advanced role, he is another one that's got a really good touch, really good decision making in the final third. So yeah. Not that we necessarily saw it all the time. I think his position was a little bit shaky versus Leeds. Right. But um, I mean, that's. If you take a look at where he was asked to set up versus Leeds versus where he's been asked to set up every single other game, um, it's just right center, right next to him. So hopefully that was a, a solid 90 for him to kind of get his foot back in a, a position that he's used to and he's played before. So I can, yeah. I can see him going in that Coutinho spot um, and hopefully sells that. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely agree. So speaking of the Leeds game, um, <laughs> we'll move on to one of our favorite topics uh that we have which is lfc twitter um lfc twitter was in rare form during the during the match against leeds and although liverpool secured a two nil victory to advance to the semifinals of the league cup uh a lot of liverpool fans not pleased with the performance of the of the lads <laughs> No, it was as I like to call it peak peak fume. 
from <laughs> LFC Twitter. Because, uh, I mean, most of these, these League Cup games, you, you can't always watch them live. Um, so in between <laughs> watching it later on in a recording and, and following along via Twitter, it's always dangerous because this was I, – I checked it maybe period, every 15 minutes or so, you know, I was at work. Mm-hmm. And just the – I don't have any to pick from right now, but just the overwhelming response to, to what was happening was cataclysmic. <laughs> <laughs> negative, just beyond negative to the point where it's just almost, almost vile. Coming from coming from so-called Liverpool fans, and yeah. it happens if we don't score within the first 10, 15 minutes, it's it's all going to go to hell on LFC Twitter. <laughs> this, was, this was a new level, it, a new it, level. It, these so-called fans. It really was. It was, um, and something that I talked to you before is, you know, on the on the two red gringos account, we follow a lot of Liverpool fans. Anyone who follows us, I just I follow back automatically. And I'm not on that timeline all that much. I'm, I check it for notifications, but I don't, I don't, I don't scroll that timeline. A lot of what I get is from my main account. So, <laughs> so, uh, I stayed over on Two Red Gringos during the game because I was I was tweeting from the account because I was actually able to watch it. I took a, took a long lunch um, since I'm kind of in between jobs right now. So. Uh, not I don't I don't mean that in an unemployed sense. I mean that in a I'm literally about to take one position, but I'm not there yet, but I'm already out of my other position. So uh so I kind of have no accountability right now, <laughs> which is great. Um but anyways, like environment you could thrive in. <laughs> yeah, I thrive under a lack of accountability. <laughs> um so I uh, so I was able to watch the game and and I stayed on the two red gringos account because I was tweeting from there and I just wanted to kind of keep up with you know how how people were feeling and I have you know I'm I'm I follow a bunch of non LFC people on my main account um, obviously but uh, yeah some of the I mean I I love you guys and thank you for following but damn like some of you are crazy some of you are nuts they like. Like you watch football, um, like, like grandparents, like most grandparents watched this past election cycle. <laughs> like, my God, it is just the overreaction is just crazy. Um, I, I, there were condemnations for every player on the pitch. Arigi's been shit. Uh, um, Vinaldum is is trash. Emre Chan is the worst player on the pitch. Get him off at halftime. Um, <laughs> Trent Alexander Arnold should never play for the team again. I mean, though there are there are like myriad examples. Every single player on the field caught something from someone. Um, yeah, nobody was exempt. No, there was not a single player. And you know, despite a clean sheet, uh, you know, like oh, we could have easily conceded. Uh, you know, uh, our defense was garbage. Um, and so it's, uh, I mean, it's brutal and, and, you know, Alexander Arnold, he, he was somewhat, a lot of people blamed him for, uh, for the lead, the main leads chance that, that, uh, hit the, hit the woodwork. But, uh, but yeah, the, uh, a lot of people jumped on his back, you know, uh, for it when, yeah, you know, Stewart's dispossessed uh in in the half and and it was just 
uh, it's so depressing to read some of it because it's just it's just terrible to think you know this is if a liverpool player you know scrolls twitter and just searches their name um for all of the good stuff that they see they're gonna see an equal amount of just awful shit like no um, i can't i can't imagine a modern player actually following a twitter account you have to have like (laughs) just showing me good stuff because it is yeah it's horrendous it is and looking back on it, I mean, a lot of times it's bad, and, and the play is just fine. First half was all right. Third yeah. second, he's hold the goal. Goal was was pretty rough. Um, but no, I mean, I, there's no glaring errors really. Um, I, I think the way we were structured left left our back four a little bit a little bit vulnerable at times because everything was just come through them. But no, I mean, hang your head in shame. I love Twitter. <laughs> well, uh, option three, and I'm gonna post this. I'm gonna post this on uh, on the El Paso Reds Twitter account. I'll, see if we can... I'll go ahead and retweet that right now. Some post some post pod interaction uh, to see what what they like. So that just LFC Twitter peak view is option one for LFC Twitter moment of the week, and then I had a couple more. One that. One that I just love. Yeah, this is yeah. this is the this is the gem um, of the bunch, in my opinion. I I, I think he scratched my head. Yeah, and this was um, one John Micklehoney uh, at Micklehoney, who was on a rampage against myself and uh, just a, a, a man that goes by the name of Greg W. Avatars, <laughs> just as LFC. He was obsessed with our need, or not even our need, but our appreciation for for good stats. You know, I know right. you love like a good hand, a good lawn across. <laughs> I still love just good, good meaty stats. Yeah, you gotta have exactly that good evidence. So, one, so Michael Honey's stats. He he. One of my favorite moments was, and this is a long rant that he just goes on. I think. And I checked his account. He's still going at it with some other people. But that <laughs> multiple conversations. Um, so best one was, what stats do we need when Kenny was playing? As soon as Hanson, none. Could Feck can see it. And then he goes on and provides another stat and says he was upset about the pace of Emery Chan um, and how ever, and he, how he never presses, which directly goes against every stat that we have against every champ. Right. But he provided a tweet that actually gave us some stats. So Jim last season, one goal, zero assists, most chances given two away, which I don't know. Maybe that's a new stat. <laughs> given two away. That's when you're the home team and you make a defensive error. Um, yeah. So maybe that's it. Um, so that's option two. Uh, at Michael Honey. Um, Try to, you know, be passionate guy. Good for him. <laughs> my, my personal favorite. <laughs> is, uh, and this comes directly from... Now, when we say LC Twitter, we mean just <laughs> the behemoth that is all of the, the Reds around the world giving yeah. their instant... But this one actually comes from LSE's Twitter account. <laughs> Some lovely holiday photos. Um, some of the LFC teammates who attended Disney on Ice. <laughs> we get to see Rod, the family, his daughters, um, Coutinho, and his 
life and child. Pompeo, um, <laughs> for me, knowing all of his giant white teeth glory and his his wag that may not be a transvestite, just at first glance. Um, <laughs> the best part. <laughs> I mean, all that. I mean, Firmino may be a transvestite. We don't know, so. Very, very well be one. But the the best part is that as you're scrolling through these photos, you don't notice <laughs> the first click on the tweet. So you see Gerard, you see Coutinho, you see Firmino, <laughs> and you see Adam Milano by himself. It's 2004, and he's a sophomore in college. <laughs> <laughs> Jeans and a hoodie on. <laughs> so everybody else is with their wags or significant others or wives or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Milan is just there. Um, which can only I can only assume that Lana is a single father. Yeah. <laughs> raising this little boy, which which adds to the Lana folklore. It does. Sure, could could only make make you stir a little bit more because you've got to love that out of him, right? Um, but that, <laughs> it, it's funny because you know, obviously, if if Lalana is a you know a single dad and is raising you know raising his 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 kid, um, then. I'm just an asshole, you know, like that's, that just puts me, that just puts me in, in rough territory. Cause I've, I've just been ripping him apart for two seasons. Um, no, no, and, uh, but yeah, credit to him. I mean, the outfit was ridiculous. Like that is something I, I, that's something I literally wore, uh, through from like oh from like oh four to like oh eight that was that was where I lived. Um, yeah, I had a big ripped jeans and, and puma hoodie. Oh, absolutely. Um, so props, props to Alana, my yeah. favorite. Uh, but we'll we'll put it up on Twitter. Um, one once the pod gets posted. Yeah. I think <laughs> the followers like, like shakes the time in on the the. Yeah. One day, hopefully, Carbock will be sponsored. <laughs> Moment of the week. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So some some great moments in LFC Twitter, and and so the the only Twitter sphere that can hope to live up to the drama created uh, on Liverpool Twitter is U.S. Soccer Twitter. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen some of the the craziness going on uh just due to kind of my uh involvement in it um but uh so so this week we've there's been a lot of talk in in US soccer um and a lot of uh confusion surrounding basically what the hell is going on um mainly with the NASL um and uh, there's there's all these rumors going around. There's there's a meeting going on currently uh, that there's there's a lot of uh, so part of the problem with the NASL is that there's not a ton of professional journalists who are beat reporters for NASL teams, which leads to podcasters like you and me being the journalists. Um, yeah. And these guys are not full-time. They're not, you know, they're credentialed just because they host a podcast about such and such a team. But, like, 
that's their only pedigree or or uh like qualification you know that gives them to cover the team so they have these sources who talk to them about the team and uh about what's going on at the league and stuff and um a lot of it is bullshit you know like there's there's a lot of it that is just straight up you know misinformation so you know one minute you have the new york cosmos are shutting down operations and they're dead and like the nasl has gone to hell and now it's okay, there's a bunch of ownership groups that want the NASL to keep going and the Cosmos have a, a buyer to the Cosmos lost like $30 million this past year. So they're in a huge hole, blah, blah, blah. So there, there's this back and forth and no one knows really what's going on except for the people um, at the league office and then in the ownership groups of these, of these teams. But the bottom line is that the way NASL is going there's not a lot of like hope for them to keep their current status uh in in US soccer as a you know second division whatever the hell that means you know in US soccer yeah. so you know as a triple a um to MLS's MLB um so what that does is that opens the door for for USL to step into that triple a spot um and we've got the owners of USL, uh, most of the owners of teams who aren't MLS uh, reserve teams in USL. A lot of those owners have have eyes to eventually make it to MLS. And so what we're what we're kind of staring down the barrel of right now is the top two divisions in America potentially. Uh, could be more or less controlled by the same kind of group of owners that currently control, you know, just the top division. Um, so rather than like frame this all in, you know, pro rel, open the system, blah, blah, blah. Like we've talked about that. We know that. Um, but I just wanted to talk about, okay, so USL and MLS lock up shop in terms of pro soccer uh, they are the people, they are the, the gatekeepers to pro soccer in the United States. What does that mean for guys like us who, you know, between Austin and El Paso, um, there's no pro team currently. Um, and you'd imagine with what's going on, the entry fees um, into, you know, not only MLS, but USL will increase because it's the only it's the only pro soccer around so these franchise fees you know are bound to go up because the demand is going to be high to get in um if you want to start a pro soccer team you got to go through them so so what is what does this mean for us for the guys who don't have teams like what do we what do we do as far as you know domestic soccer goes to the we go to the chihuahuas games or we go <laughs> but uh no i mean it's it, it was what the 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 u.s pitch for el paso um i mean it's a big deal too the only the only problem with that even though for like especially a city like el paso or even any any city in texas um with, with strong ties to to soccer communities and all that 
you want you don't necessarily want triple a i think the whole prospect of even the way that they're that you buy into it um if you think of the group here in El Paso, that is they want to eventually get to the point where they can have uh an mls team or a, a, a top tier team right so i think the concern is part of me is thinking you know if it's let's say NAS, nasl collapses which is which is brutal for for the the u.s soccer hipsters like yourself um <laughs> but you know i'm a little bit i'm a little bit more kind of i'm just going to call it naive for just kind of in between both sides so i kind of thought about it from the perspective of okay if they collapse does that potentially in a selfish maybe in a selfish way does that open the opportunity for at least maybe a two-tier system between the mls and the usl where there is the opportunity for some type of promotion relegation system where even if you have a usl team you could eventually get into the the top tier beat mls but the problem with it is is that the longer that you wait the longer that it goes on um the more unrealistic that becomes because you have and you said yourself is that if they're controlled by a lot of these same ownership groups that control the mls teams then it's never going to happen but if there's a way to get new ownership new ownership in that controls these teams then you could start to make the argument that that you could create at least a two-tiered system um which is still really limited and i don't think we'll do necessarily what we would need to do in terms of become a better footballing country but at least it's at least it's a start right it's we're not necessarily thinking about it in terms of how can we improve the sport in the country but maybe in terms of a more selfish selfish reason can we get a, a, a pro team a pro club that we can support at the top level um so yeah that was just just my kind of thoughts is that perhaps it could open up that possibility um but also at the same time it's not going to happen if we don't have some, some kind of fresh blood in there, some new new type of ownership, or even kind of new structural changes um, at the top to allow that to happen as well. Yeah, and that's uh, so. With that, you know, obviously, if there is mobility between between USL and MLS and kind of a MLS one and two type scenario. Um, and maybe they even break it out where, you know, there's MLS 1 and 2 and then there's USL, you know, beneath that um, or something. Um, there's mobility, but there's it's it's kind of it's kind of fake. You know, it's like it, it's it's not truly, you know, a team can't be, you know, an amateur side and, and you know, 10 years later be playing in the um in the top division. So, um, so it, if there's mobility, it is a step in the right direction. Um, obviously this is a, all like a lot of conjecture and, um, and a lot of, uh, kind of making, making assumptions on, on behalf of organizations that haven't really made decisions about how they're going to go, how they're going to go forward. But I think the bottom line is, is you look at, kind of how these teams operate um and we've we've given sac republic a, a lot of shit about this and so I, I i think it's only fair to to give shit to another team who who did a similar 
uh, type of thing, which is, you know, we, we gave Sac Republic a lot of shit about the kind of pandering to uh, Don Garber and, and MLS. Because, you know, like, we, uh, you know, I, I understand he's the guy in, in charge right now, but you don't ever want your club to kind of behave like that, you know, in my, in my humble opinion. Like, I can't, I cannot imagine um, any any team in any other country on earth you know bar i guess like australia and and india which are kind of set up uh similar to us but i mean just just imagine if like any of the clubs like worldwide staged an event for a league commissioner <laughs> like that i mean it's enough to make people like riot and burn the club headquarters down you know it would just be it would be a complete embarrassment for whatever for whatever team did it and so watching watching fc fc cincinnati um (laughs) just completely lay themselves down at the at the feet of don garber who flew in on his private fucking jet and flew a helicopter around the city to different appearances like that just that was just embarrassing um and and i can't imagine if if people in in other countries like england or germany or somewhere if they saw that like what would they even think you know like what would what would they even like they'd say what is the point of this like why like why did you hold hold this event and it's like oh it's like oh did you did you make it into the top league it's like oh no like we had him into our city to show him that we deserve it and it's like, oh, so he's like giving you a team in the top league. It's like, well, no, but like maybe though. <laughs> he's he's he said he's thinking about it, <laughs> and it's just it's so embarrassing because it's it's not gonna fucking happen for Cincinnati. Like, I mean, it hasn't happened for Sac Republic, um, and I mean, it might eventually happen for Sac Republic. But the bottom line is these events like do not help. Like. He's gonna judge you the same way either way. It just makes him look like he's the the guy holding the keys, um, and it makes it look like MLS is a. It, it drives up like demand for the product, which in turn he can increase the asking price for these franchises um, to the point where you're at you know you're at the level of like the NHL where they can charge some dude in Vegas five hundred million for a team. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's—I mean—that's what he's going for. He's not—he's not going for anything else. He's not trying to help your city. He just wants your—he wants your cash. Like, and it's just—it's—it's it's, it's so embarrassing to see. The problem is that you have the person that's in or a large part in control about these decisions is flying in on a private jet, is flying from place to place on a helicopter. If you're Don Garber and you're being greeted by Sacramento and Cincinnati with giant heads of your face. Why would you ever, why would you ever <laughs> want to the structure to that? I, right. I, I can if I showed up somewhere and I had giant posters in my head, I, I, I'd probably be a little flattered and want to keep keep doing whatever I'm doing. But uh, no, I mean, that, I think that's the point too is that everybody's got everybody's got like a selfish reason for for why they want X, Y, or Z. And I think what, what you guys and, and that kind of community keeps going back to is what's going to be better, not just for us as fans, because of, I think at the end of the day, what what our 
everybody, even if you're a fan, if you, even if you're an MLS fanboy, is the U.S. men's national team. And it's not, <laughs> it's not Klinsman. It's not. I mean, it's kind of players. It's kind of Klinsman. It's, all, it's, it's everything. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we kind of respect is that that approach to say what's going to be what's going to turn us into a better footballing country. Not necessarily who are the best markets to get television ratings. Right. I think are abysmal, by the way. But you know. Yeah. Well, and what's funny about that is when you look week to week at, you know, the most watched soccer matches, it's always Liga MX, like without exception. Um, So what's funny to me is, is the idea that uh, MLS specifically targets uh, white soccer hipsters. Like, I mean, we'll just put it out there. They target white people. Like that's the product that they put forward. Um, and they've tried so hard to like in the past to engage, uh, the Latin American community and specifically like Mexican American community mm-hmm. at no success, zero. They tried to st- start a whole franchise for the Latin American community Ch- you know, uh, Chivas USA, um, failed miserably. So like... <laughs> MLS has failed to capture on multiple occasions um, the largest soccer viewing audience, which is Latin American viewers um, and, and specifically specifically Mexican American. Because, I mean, three million people watched um, the uh, playoff game between uh, – God, what was that game in Liga MX? Um well, America was involved. Club America, obviously, one of the one of the biggest clubs in Mexico, and they so three million people watch a playoff game uh, in Liga MX. Meanwhile, that same weekend, the conference finals of MLS are going on. The conference final between the Seattle Sounders, which is probably the best supported team in MLS, yeah, and the Colorado Rapids, who are in Denver, which is you know no small market draws 300,000 viewers. <laughs> I mean, we're talking literally a factor of 10 times the amount of people watched a game in Mexico versus a game a and a game that sent the Sounders to their first ever MLS Cup final, like historic occasion, you know, in MLS, literally no one tunes in. And and meanwhile, yeah. ten times the people, ten times the people are watching are watching a playoff game uh, between two two club sides in Mexico. So, I mean, the bottom line is, we look at all these market sizes, and you know, Don Garber does his analysis based on market size and based on you know the the ownership and and what they bring to the table, but none of these ownership groups are capturing like the soccer viewing public um yeah they're they're capturing a very small segment of it yeah they're looking at markets that the nfl the nba mlb might look at and that's i mean we know it's not the same it's not the same type of viewing audience um for the same type of participatory audience that that the other sports have too so right and as long as you get checked for Hundred two hundred million dollars, then they don't have to worry about the, the television ranks. 
Exactly. So, um, so to keep me from just spiraling into a into a rant of uh, <laughs> of MLS and it's and U.S. soccer in general, um, we actually got a few Twitter questions for this episode, and so I'd like to uh, do right by by our okay. listeners and uh, and answer some of the questions. So. Uh, the, the first couple questions, real tough, um, from at Puck Sherburn, um, he asks first, who will replace Sadio Mane, uh, when he's at the African cup of nations? (laughs) So we're getting straight into the difficult questions here. We're not, there's no easing into this. You were just, all right, who is going to play when Mane is gone? It's, and it's brutal too. It's a factor in... (laughs) We what we've been pushing and what we've noticed this year that that the money's provided for us. Granted, Leeds, I, I thought he was terrible. Um, <laughs> no, that. But in the league, he's been phenomenal. Like an impact player. Our our attacking side looked completely different. With him out, with Coutinho out as well, we've been saying the importance of those wide those wide players, and we don't really have any. <laughs> but are really ready to step up uh, into the first team. We'll see how Wijnaldum does. If he can fill that role, then great, terrific. Then we've got Coutinho's spot covered. But for Mane, you you almost have to bring in somebody else because I don't know if there's anybody in the squad right now that fills the role that he's been playing. I think we both know that you can't put Sturridge a little bit further out wide on the right, and that's okay. But it's not going to be the impact that Mane has. He might score goals, um, but he won't be a replacement for Mane. So I think you have to go. You have to go into the transfer market. So I think. And, oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just. No, I mean, I I was going to say that I think you either have to change the system um, that we've been playing, or. I mean, Klopp has realistically three options. He can change the system. Um, he can bring in a player in the window, um, or he can he can take a chance on a guy that may or may not be ready to fill that role. Um, but he takes a chance on him anyway. So I think you've got. Either you go to a you go to a different system, um, maybe a diamond. Um, but I think you probably go to two strikers and hope that you know Arigi and Sturridge can stay fit and <laughs> Woodburn backs them up. Basically, I don't know. Uh, or you take you lob in. Uh, now I know Klopp had actually some comments about uh, Shea Ojo um, in his last uh, in his in his last press conference, which was actually interesting because Ojo, one of the notable youth absences from the squad against Leeds, um, you know, he didn't play at all when he he kind of featured for the first team uh, in the league last year when we were you know focused on the on the Europa League. Um, and Ojo could potentially have been a player that we saw as a replacement for Mane in terms of he can obviously play on the wing. He has a, a good delivery. He's a, definitely a different player than Mane in terms of he's he's not going to burn anyone. 
um, with pace like quite like Mane does because I don't know if there's a player in the league who can do that. Um, yeah. But Ojo would have been the player where I think we saw him as kind of a natural fit on the wing. Um, and Klopp made a lot of comment or made some comments uh, this week that Ojo's basically not ready. Um, he needs to. He says he needs to train a lot, and he needs to work a lot to be ready to to play first team football for for Liverpool. So I don't, I don't know. Like I, I mean, it really does. It leaves you with not a ton of options uh, to replace Sadio if he if he does. Yeah go out of the area when he does go to the African Cup of Nations. Mm-hmm. I think that's in a class been pretty straightforward about going into the the transfer window that they're that they're gonna buy somebody. Yeah. Um and going after uh, maybe on the left the left wing, I think it makes sense to go after somebody that'll be younger. But for for Mane maybe like the only person that we've been linked to that I could see potentially filling that spot would be Arda Trent. Everybody else, like Quincy Prong's been there, Gregory Martins, um, was it Alexai, who's for Ajax? Mm-hmm. They're all young players that right. got... I assume we, we have any features in our long-term plans, but we've got Shea Ojo right there. Right. Um, so, so I don't know. I don't know about bringing in a younger player. I think you need an experienced player to to come into the squad right away. But you also it's you also have to balance this. What's so tough is that you need quality that can play right away. But when Mane comes back, he's going to fill that spot too. So you have to bring right. in somebody that that I guess would be okay with being a, a potential backup afterwards. Or you, you know you can kind of phrase it as it's oh you're coming in. Take his spot in January, and then you you provide competition, and you're you, arguably you continue it even after he comes back. Yeah, I think it's to try to say to change the formation, because rather than filling one spot now, we're we're altering the the potentially ten other players um, on the pitch too. When we're you know undefeated, fifteen fifteen matches, like we said, I think you keep the system and find find somebody that'll fit to plug in. So really maybe Duran is is the only one in terms of the players that we've been linked with that I see. So um I think it, it you know it obviously lead that led into the second question from uh from Puck Sherber and the uh should we buy in January and and if so who? Um so Turan Turan uh, a decent option but playing at Barca. Um so you know he would have to accept um, kind of a step down in terms of, you know, he's not playing in the Champions League or, or anything like that. And um, he's not a, a first first choice player for us either. Yeah. Um, he's not, you know, he's not at Barca right now, but he, he wouldn't walk into this team uh, either. So um, kind of a tough situation potentially for him. And, and I think, you know, the person that we've been linked to a lot, and I think, this is, I mean, while it may be true, I don't know. I think the amount of hype placed around it is just due to get uh, American readers interested uh, and clicking um, is the, the links with uh, Christian Pulisic from, uh, from Dortmund and, you know, obviously an American international. Um, he 
is playing fairly regularly for Dortmund in the Champions League, uh, challenging in the league in Germany. Um, and if we brought him in as cover for Coutinho or Mane, then that's not real. I mean, he's not going to... I don't, I don't care how much we're paying him. He's not going to want to give up what he's got, uh, you know, where he's playing pretty regularly for Dortmund and, yeah. and contributing in a team that is probably up there with one of the best in Europe right now. Um, and, you know, so young, dynamic, whatever, like all of the dynamic attacking that Liverpool has done, uh, you know, Dortmund is, is right up there. Um, is right up there with them. But the, I think for the amount that we would pay for Pulisic, um, we would be putting in him in a position, in a worse position than he's currently yeah. in, uh, where we have two guys, uh, on either wing who are, you know, obvious starters as long as they're fit. So the only hope for you getting in the team is, is as a sub or, or as a, uh, injury replacement more or less so um so yeah purchasing in january especially with this team playing the way that it is it is very difficult uh to find the right the right player at the right price uh for the right position it's very tough yeah. last one for that one yeah what would happen to you and the rest of the dan ings fan boys if <laughs> if, because he's injured, I mean, I think it, it, it's getting pretty light up there. Um, yeah, we've been linked with Dembele for something. I know that would crush the the five Brendan Rodgers fans that are still left at LFC, like myself. Um, <laughs> I root for Brendan. Anything in that one? Um, so I think it. On the one hand, it it makes a lot of sense because he's he's really young. There's still a lot. Um, of potential uh and the price is probably right because celtic got him on a free so they're making money regardless yeah. the fee the fee is not going to be that high um scottish football obviously uh not as not as rich you know um as their their neighbors to the south and kind of in terms of europe you know one of the one of the poorer leagues like not not in terms of quality because they're obviously some some good players who play in scotland um it's nothing against that but the the clubs just don't have that much money compared to teams across europe so um so i think if you lob you know tell 10 million up front at celtic they're probably going to jump at it because that's i mean that's a few players uh in scotland in scotland quite honestly like of scottish premier league uh quality uh, you don't see the transfer fees that high. So so I think it makes sense in terms of that, but uh, it does start to get a little muddy. Um, you know, if if Sturridge is back healthy and Origi's healthy, you know, where's is, is Dembele willing to, you know, he's playing, again, playing every day in, in, uh, in Scotland. He's playing well. Um, you know, do they... Uh, does he give up that to try to force his way into a team where, you know, he's got two, two established, more established guys, you know, obviously a a lot of potential still as well, but, um, but 
you know, does he try to force his way into a team where there's already two guys and, you know, two, two guys who are healthy right now. And then if Sturridge is healthy, now you've got, you know, you've got to surpass Firmino and Origi and Sturridge in the pecking order. So it's, uh, it's a tough situation to come into. Um, and, and, with the depth kind of hurting, I don't know. I don't know if Liverpool go for a guy for ten mil, or do they go for a, a cheaper option like uh, like Osmoon coming out of uh, Rostov in Russia, um, who looked good against Bayern. That's the only time I've seen him play. I can't. I can't speak otherwise. Uh, but he scored against Bayern and uh, in the Champions League in the in Rostov's win in Russia last week. So. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple of attacking options, uh, but it does get tough when in the system we play, we play one striker. Um, so it's tough to have four, potentially four or five guys competing for that one spot. Um, yeah. It starts getting a little tough. And and Firmino, the bottom, I mean, the bottom line is Firmino's made that spot his. He's not, I mean, if he's healthy, he plays there. Um, and, and Klopp has kind of shown that faith in him. Uh, so it's, it, it, it gets really tough when you start saying, oh, yeah, like, let's buy this guy, let's buy this guy. But, I mean, the system we play, we, our front three is set. Like, the, you know, the only thing that starts calling it into question is when guys are, are unavailable, like, like Mane at the Cup of Nations and, uh, you know, Coutinho and, and potentially Bobby Hurt. So, yeah, um, it's tight. We've got to fit in with our, with our buying strategy that we've had over the last couple of years. You can't have somebody that's not that's too young and not ready to step in right away, and then you can't necessarily get somebody pro class, but like top tier, already established because they don't necessarily have a spot. Right. Whenever whenever those players get healthy or come back, so I think there is some need for some for some depth at the wings. Um, maybe maybe you start looking at midfield and, and defense as well but now most of the players that we link to you just kind of you scratch your heads and say you know it's kind of nice but not necessarily sure how they're fitting into to the 11 or what season planning out now right. next season that's short. so uh the next couple of questions a little more a little more fun i guess um or not so fun in this first one because this could mean you know bad things for for liverpool but uh scott scott pg mac uh asked uh can you see klopp ever coaching a national team apologies to, to scott but i don't think what did, did he say did I see Canada somewhere? <laughs> I did. I my response to him was uh was I wouldn't hold my breath. I wouldn't hold my breath there, eh? Maybe maybe Germany. Maybe yeah. see him coaching a German squad. Um just because if you think about his his approach, it's maybe not all too dissimilar to Klinsmann. I mean, tactically he's he, I think he's vastly superior. Yeah. But he he also has an appreciation and a setup that lends itself. And Leeds was a perfect example to give younger players, um, even if they're not ready to hit the ground running on first team, that they've got for Jaria, for um, Woodburn, and others that have stepped in. That there's there's that place for him too. So it's 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 a manager that players love to play for. So I think he'd be a good fit for. 
whatever national team he decides to to coach in 15 to 20 years but (laughs) (laughs) that's uh yeah i think uh jürgen norbert klopp will be buried at anfield so um (laughs) there's a lot there's a lot of cop flags that's gonna go up yeah There'll be there'll be a there, yeah there'll be a Jurgen Klopp stand at at Anfield in in fifteen years he's gonna be a legend he's not going anywhere um no I uh I I honestly think he could obviously uh manage Germany in the future but so the thing the thing that potentially um. I'm not sure of you know of his kind of attitude towards you know because he he works with the players he's given so it kind of works in a national team setup he he doesn't exactly. demand all that much in terms of the transfer window he doesn't um, he he always harps on development and harps on on wanting to to work with players um, and and improve them so. I mean, that's kind of a perfect fit <laughs> for a national team. You know, any federation would be, like, over the moon to hear, like, yeah, okay, this guy is going to, you know, work with what he's given. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's got to be the right opportunity, and I uh, I don't really see him going anywhere aside from aside from Germany. And, and Germany kind of has a history of, you know, at least since uh, since 2002 um, when they kind of hit the reset button on uh, – on their whole program. Uh, and if for any of our followers or listeners out there, if you haven't read the book Das Reboot um, by Raphael Honigstein, it is fantastic. And it outlines the whole German setup. It's pretty great. But um, they kind of got in the habit of grooming their national team managers from the inside. So um, they hired Klinsman and, Lerv was there as his assistant, and then Lerv took over the team once Klinsman, uh, you know, moved on. And I'm sure, like, they're going to want to keep some, like, level of continuity uh, because it's worked. You know, it earned them a World Cup. Uh, so I think I think they're going to probably maintain some of that continuity um, and probably try to promote from from within Lerv's staff. So if that opportunity ever presents itself, I could see Klopp potentially, potentially taking it, but, um, but Germany would have to, you know, obviously go for it first. And it remains to be seen if they'd want someone, you know, kind of that like overtly volatile, um, where he's very animated, very, you know, not to say that Lerv isn't, but, um, but would they want kind of Klopp, the guy who you know drops f bombs in press conferences and <laughs> and all that stuff? Like, you know, do you want that guy as the uh, as a national team manager? So it's really, I'd say it's up to up to Germany to see if they kind of stick with what has worked over the last you know twelve, fourteen years, or uh, if they kind of break with that for a for a bigger name, but. Um, the second question that came in from from Scott was, uh, could you see other s- players joining uh, Chapacoense and playing for free, like Ronaldinho reportedly has said he's available to play uh, if they if they want him. 
And if so, who, which obviously, I mean, we don't have that information, but who would you want to see like of old players kind of make themselves available, you know, in a, in a charity sense. Fat fat Ronaldo, Fat Ronaldo would look pretty hilarious. But uh, (laughs) Ronaldinho, you can see doing it. The big part is, is the free part. You can see anybody coming out saying like landing support and all that. Right. But somebody like it, it, you'd have to be pretty low. It'd have to be like somebody like Ronaldinho, David Beckham, like players that don't, I don't know as much about Ronaldinho, but like Beckham, like you could play season for free and you're, you're not going to be hurting, you know, you're not going to need money. I mean, it's not like Beckham's working right now anyways. Like, he's not collecting a salary. He's he's just absurdly wealthy. Yeah, but... Uh, he's doing H&M I can, commercials. I can see that. I, I mean, I... Especially with, with all the positive reaction that was to it. Um, you know, if it's... It'll, I think it'll be interesting to see. I can see somebody like Ronaldinho doing that. But what interests me is, you know, how long... As soon as it's not a news story anymore, how long is that support still there? Right. Um, and it's not necessarily the players. I think the clubs honoring any type of agreement that they say to will will loan you players. Um, you know, will save you from relegation for the first couple of seasons. It's going to be interesting if if they start to do well. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> like uh, was it? Uh, what's, oh, who's the German team? Red Bull. <laughs> Red Bull Leipzig. Yeah, like they start if. If Chavo Nasdaq's doing well with with loan players, are they going to start asking for a little bit of cash? Or right. you know, <laughs> on the on the reverse end, if they're at the bottom of the table, and you're that one team that's not getting promoted because they're not getting sent down to the bottom league, so we'll see. I think it's really more important that you know for players, it, it'd be a good story right now, um, but for them, it's going to be how to sustain the club. Yeah, um, and play like Ronaldinho or. or, or or anybody else isn't going to sustain the club. What they need is a, is a structured support and structured support from the clubs uh, and the leagues. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So the uh, the initial word that I that I read uh, earlier, either today or, or yesterday on on Twitter, was that uh, their U twenty team had been pulled out of a out of a cup competition that they were playing in because basically the the assumption is that the U20s are going to, you know, play as the uh, first team to uh, keep the uh, – to play the last game of the season because um, there's still – this is the last uh, the last league uh, game week for the um, Brazilian Syria, Syria A or Syria A. I don't know how they <laughs> – how they say it but um so so the u20s are gonna are gonna play um and i think the key kind of for for chapacoans is you know obviously um reinvesting you know they're gonna receive quite a probably quite a bit of money it seems like uh from abroad but the the key right now is you know reinvesting that money like prudently um and yeah. and setting the club on a on a footing where they can not only you know if they are uh exempt from relegation for a couple of years like that's that's good but i mean that more or less puts a mark on the wall of okay by x date we have to be ready to compete again um yeah 
and so they have to they have to find a way to uh set the club back on a on a stable stable ground and and build a, a foundation and a and a core of the team you know rebuild that core of the team um uh and and turn themselves into contenders again and i mean obviously both of us you know having you know ha- all, having all of this happen i hope in a couple of years we're talking about chapa cohen's playing in a in a south american final again um and uh you know just rebounding from this in in a in a good way so i don't i don't know if the the celebrities are are the way to do it because they're you know they've been a community club since since they were founded and and that's the way that they've been you know achieving success obviously they've had investment but um it's not this is not a a sugar daddy owner uh or anything they've done smart business and they found they found good players in brazil so um so that's what's gonna that's what's gonna bring them back so uh i think they they probably have a a good plan going forward for that but now on to our most ridiculous listener uh who said no uh so brian brian uh of he is an el paso red uh which is which is always good so shout shout out to to brian um brian was brian was hurt by our all our our trump talk on the last episode so um so we'll be nice to brian this time around um so so, uh (laughs) what's that it was just banter. Yeah, it's just, it's just banter. So uh, Brian sent in. He wants a what he described as a real time discussion. I don't know exactly what that means, but he wants a real time discussion of the best bars to watch uh, Liverpool at between East and West Side. My immediate response to this was R.I.P. Corner Tavern. And so if we could oh, just have. If we could just have a quick moment. Okay. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> so Corner Tavern was where we got started. But where where are we watching LFC these days, aside from aside from IHOP? So there's been IHOP. The, the biggest – the problem with, with this question is that the best soccer bars, not just in El Paso, but in the country – are soccer bars that are open <laughs> at 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah. And those are, are few and far to come by here in El Paso. So, in my opinion, the best, some of the most welcoming people, but it's tough because it's not available in the morning out on the west side, is owed. Right. So, for like, yesterday would have been a, a, a perfect example uh, to, to go to, wait, Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, you, I'm a master that. It's all good. <laughs> it been a perfect example. If you get off work to go to Ogden, like Champions League, um, Norbert there, the chef, the owner, uh, is a big football fan too and really supportive and is trying to drum up support for it. Um, so that, that my West Side pick goes to Ogden. Um, and, of course, props to um, uh, Barman. Who who have been trying? Who've been pushing? It's it, you know it's tough to pick up steam if you if you miss a week or week or two here and there. So, um, but Barman Barman from the early days games out on the west side um, and owed for those kind of European fixtures. Yeah, and then so we we experienced the next the other spot. So talking east side, we uh, 
when I was in town for Memorial Day weekend, it also happened to be the Champions League final, uh, and we watched that out at uh, our our good friend, uh, you know, it, speaking of Corner Tavern, uh, our good friend Sal's new place out on the east side, Border City Ale House. Um, and uh, that was that was actually a pretty pretty good experience. Um, the uh, they had a pretty good crowd for the for the final, and um, there were, there were people who were getting into it. Um, we obviously uh, with our with our uh, our little crowd of um, <laughs> of your brother and uh, and the cheeseburger. Um, we uh we had we had a nice little rowdy viewing section uh rooting on Atletico Madrid but uh um but yeah border city uh it seems like it has a lot of potential it's just a really big space for <laughs> for a uh a group like yeah. uh like El Paso Reds to to kind of fill cuz even on even on the best days that is a gigantic bar um that's impossible to to kind of fill I'm going to say that if I could have one place that I could go to to watch a game at 5 a.m. at 10 a.m., it would it would be Border City. Same thing for it's even as much as we love Corner Tavern. Yeah. At Border City, you've got you've got shuffleboard too. You've right. got a huge screen. Pipe in they pipe in the music. Yep. The music they pipe in the game. Yep. So you've got a full full kind of large scale bar experience that you get whenever you go to like in austin or chicago or new york where you have the large uh official clubs too so you know we just don't right. necessarily have the <laughs> the number of supporters to match up but right i mean on that on on the east side rough it, it yeah the picking the pickings are slim yeah <laughs> we bought crave we bought crave we've got they're everywhere now um, yeah we thought that could do something for us, but they don't have Wi-Fi, and they only have basic cable. So, <laughs> so we're actually there watching a match, uh, huddled around a my Mac computer. Um, so you know, we're, we're working on it. All it takes is one. Yeah, and that's and that's the key, I think. I, I it seemed like you guys had something had something kind of going with with EP Gooners, kind of working out. Um, at, at barman um there on the west side that barman building is it has changed hands so many times uh through the years like since i got there in 2012 i think it was like six different places um it uh there is so much potential there though because you've got the outdoor area you've got the indoor um and it, it's a really nice bar, but no one has kind of seized that potential. And I, I don't know if it's due to its proximity to other places where it's like a little too close to the Hoppy Monk and it's a little too close to to like Tradecraft or some other cool yeah. spots that have kind of differentiated themselves uh, in El Paso. So I think so. It seemed like you guys had something good going, especially starting off the season with with Liverpool Arsenal. So you had like a good crowd out for for the first week, yeah. where the two groups kind of combined uh, to fill up Barman, and um, and that's always good to see uh, the groups kind of kind of come together. But um, 
but yeah, it is, it's tough to maintain that kind of momentum over. And, and I'll say, you know, speaking from having seen the, like the big supporter group side of it, uh, where you can get, you know, 25 people, like even at the, at the low end, um, the maintaining a spot, um, to watch matches is difficult. Um, it is not, it's not easy. They've actually changed a couple times here in Austin um, due to different issues that guys have had. Um, so there's been there's been matches at a couple different spots. They've been trying out different ones. So it's it, it finding that venue is tough, um, and yeah. and it's not something that's set in stone either because there's no you know there's no. There's no contract you can sign with a place. There's no, uh, there's no official agreement you can come to. So it's, uh, it does make it difficult to kind of maintain that, that relationship over, over a long period of time. And we were really lucky, obviously, to, to have Sale involved uh, at Corner Tavern and, and willing to, to open up for us, you know, even on the days when it was the three of us. <laughs> yeah. um, and props to yeah. the guys, too, because they've been, I've been, seems like i've been gone just about every single week for work or for travel or for all this other stuff too so they yeah they've been finding finding ways to get out there so uh i know brian's uh brian's an east sider and follow his uh snapchat account same as his twitter handle i believe to see what his, uh, his Friday <laughs> all about why he might show up a little bit tardy to a uh, <laughs> Well, I guess Sunday, and I got, I got to hit the uh, the El Paso Twitter sphere to see to see where it's going to go down. Yeah, and just so you can, uh, you listeners can follow Brian. That is at Brian B R I A N underscore Laz, which is L A A. That's two A's, and then followed by not one, not two, not three, but five Z's. <laughs> Just for those who are um, having trouble finding him, because I know I struggle. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't find him the first time that when I was like, "Oh, what is Brian talking about?" I went to look him up, and I was like, "Oh, damn!" Like I, I can't find him because he, his user, his Twitter handle is impossible. But it's two A's and five Z's, and you'll be good. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, Sunday game, we got Bournemouth, uh, chance to extend the winning or the unbeaten streak, and uh, and potentially with um, City in a big game this week, I believe playing Chelsea, chance to with a win and a City loss could go top of the league again this week. So always. Uh, always good so hopefully hopefully liverpool can seize the opportunity but um yeah we uh oh we covered a lot there's a lot going on in this uh i like it i like it um so um with that uh i guess if you if you guys like this episode, like what you heard, um, you can follow us on Twitter at Two Red Gringos. Check us out at at TwoRedGringos.com because we're that classy and awesome. 
um, that we have our own website, twogreggringos.com, and also um, you can uh, follow at El Paso Reds if you're in the El Paso area and you're looking to catch a Liverpool game, uh, hit them up. And then uh, you can follow... uh, uh, yeah, I think that's it, right? That's pretty much. Well, we got them to shout out for your uh, your, your Bacchiavelli account too. Oh yeah. So I, in my just quest to saturate all forms of social media, um, <laughs> I uh, I started a new Twitter because I play some I play video games every once in a while, and I'm vain enough to think that people will watch me play video games. So. Um, so I have a Twitch account. It's Bacchiavelli, which is the same as my PSN name. So if you play PlayStation 4, find me there, and we'll play, and you'll probably whoop my ass. Yeah. And it'll be it'll be pretty great. So, yeah, we're uh, I'm over at Bacchiavelli as well um, on Twitter, and you can find all, all my info there. But, um, but, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I, I don't have enough I like I apparently don't have enough shit to do so I just give myself more shit to do. Um like, Yeah. <laughs> well that's about to end next Friday, so we'll see. Um I'm about to get real busy um here in the near future. But uh but yeah. Um I think that about does it. Maybe? Yeah, it probably doesn't. Yeah. Um, so for Patrick Staley, this has been Phil Baki, and uh, and thanks for listening to the Two Red Gringos. Be sure to check for new episodes whenever we feel like recording an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Adios. Adios. <laughs>